Welcome to Appalachian Shine, the official podcast for the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. And if you're listening to this, then consider yourself a part of the team. Stick around and let's shine a light on all things Appalachia. Thanks for joining us here for another episode of Appalachian Shine. This is J.C. Swaney-Ruber, your usual host, and uh, I'm grateful today to be joined by Jesse Ring. Uh, now, Jesse Ring, I've known for quite a few years, but Jesse has a unique story, Appalachian story from writing books, traveling, and uh, coming back here to Appalachia. And uh, Jesse is the owner of JBR Vineyards, and that is in Giles County. Hey, Jesse, thanks for coming on to the show. We appreciate you being with us today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Yeah, I, I was excited to, to kind of have you on because you have such a, a really interesting path of life that you've walked. Like, um, let's kind of jump back a little bit. I want to I jump back to um, a book you wrote when I, when I met you years ago. You were working on it, uh, Appalachia uh, to Silicon Valley and back again. Narrows to Troy, and that came out in I think it was 2013. 2013, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, rough, yeah, right around that time frame. And uh, you tell such a, a unique story about growing up in Appalachia, and it's it's kind of witty and um, talks about your early life. Tell us a little bit about what growing up in Narrows was like, and then all the way to the point where you know you, you ended up leaving. Appalachia for, believe it or not, Silicon Valley. How did that road happen? How did that get started? Well, how did that happen? It just kind of happened, as you mentioned. I was born and raised in the little town of Narrows, N-A-R-R-O-W-S, in Giles County. It's named for the Narrows of New River. The river goes through a gap in the mountain there called the Narrows of New River. So that's where the town got its name. It's a very small town. I think the population at that time was about 2,500 people. Uh, it was a bustling little town. They had, you know, a couple of industries there uh, selling these fibers plant and a couple other things. So uh, that's why we were there. Although uh, uh, we were there for that, that reason, my father got a job there. But my mother's family in Giles County actually goes back many generations to the 1700s, so on that side of my family, we have pretty deep roots there. But I, I, I grew up in, in that town, spent my whole youth there, uh, was born and raised there, and graduated from high school there, and it was kind of a unique way of life when I, later on, I guess I'll talk about that later in this discussion, but later on in life when I had children, 
and was living in Silicon Valley, as you said, and I just sometimes thought about how different their lifestyle growing up was from mine. Uh, we had a degree of freedom as children in those days that is just uh, unheard of. You can't do that nowadays. But we were pretty much free to roam around up through the hills, or we had a town park with a local swimming hole. We swam in a creek. And every day of my life in the summer after school was out, after lunch I went up to the town park and went swim in the afternoon and play around with friends and do stuff and then come home when it was dinner time. And unattended. I was you know, parents didn't come and watch or anything, just all the kids. And I always knew when it was time to go home by the angle of the sun in the sky. Um, and it was just a, a degree of freedom that we don't have for, for children today. And there was this kind of unwritten rule with my mother especially that I could kind of run around and do what I wanted as long as I wasn't getting in trouble, which I didn't, as long as she knew where I was. She wanted to know where I was. So I okay. And I'd say, Mom, I'm going over to John's house, or Mom, I'm going up to the park, or I'm going here or there, and I would go. So in... Uh, I went to grade school and high school there, and in high school, I noticed that I was pretty good at math and science. So when it came time to decide what to do after high school, I had decided that I wanted to be an engineer. Now, I also want to mention that my father was a coal miner in Virginia and South, South, Southwest Virginia and in Southern West Virginia. In fact, his father also, my grandfather, was a coal miner. So my father actually did not actually graduate from high school. And um, mentioned that, you know, the history on my mother's side in Giles County. So, but my parents saw that the way to a better future for their children was education. That was big thing for them. And so we had six children in our family. I have five siblings. And every one of those six children had an opportunity to go to college. Some of them didn't fully do that. They, they were very successful in other ways in life. But uh, coming from a, a modest, very modest background, every one of those six children had a chance to get a, a good education. And every one of those six children were highly successful in life. My, my older brother was a college, became a college professor. My sister was became a pharmacist in days when women d didn't do that. Uh, my other sister got married early and raised a family, and so on, etc. So that that was, you know, my history. We had a big family. Had big families on both sides, and my mother and father. Lots of aunts and uncles and cousins. We had big family gatherings, and for some reason, our house always seemed to be the gathering place. So that was family was a big, big part of that. One of the things. So I'll try and, uh, try and uh, summarize the story. So after in high school, I decided I was going to be wanted to be an electrical engineer, and I applied to two colleges, Tech and University of Virginia. I was accepted at UVA, and so I went there and got my degree in electrical engineering. 
And then after that, went out in the world and got my first job and entered the high-tech industry. I pretty much got involved in computers and software early on, and they were just kind of getting started then. And really, that was the wave that I rode through my entire technical career. Got into the computer applications and then software development. So, so that you, led to different jobs. How do I get get to Silicon Valley? People say, "Why did Why did you go to California?" And I said, "Well, because that's where the money was." <laughs> so it was by jobs that I I lived in Pennsylvania for about ten years. My first job out of college. I got transferred to Salt Lake City, Utah, and then I got another job with Northrop Aircraft in Southern California. And then I moved to Northern California in the Silicon Valley and was working in the silicon, the semiconductor industry, doing computer applications. All that was, was computer applications. So that's kind of how all that happened. I'm really fascinated with the fact that you got in right at kind of, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying this, the birth of high technology in America. Um, I tell people that I got through engineering school with two calculating devices. One was a slide rule. A lot of people probably don't know what that is, but it's a mechanical device that you hold in your hands and one part of it slides. And you can do some pretty advanced yeah. mathematical calculations with it. Yeah, in, engineers. So engineer had, every engineer had to have a slide rule. So that was my first calculating device. My second calculating device was a pencil. Because uh, by the nature of what a slide rule is and how it works, which I won't go into too much because that probably would bore people, but slide rules can't add. They can do some advanced calculations, including trigonometric functions, but they can't add. So when you were doing these engineering problems and calculations, you'd do a calculation on the slide rule and then another calculation on the slide rule, and then you had, had to add those two numbers. Well, you had to add them the old-fashioned way, pencil and paper. So you were constantly switching back and forth. And so those were the two calculating devices I had. And uh, it was after that that the whole miniaturization of computers and electronics started happening and computer applications started spreading to, you know, everything. And so that's, that was the career path I put, took was getting in the computer applications. But it was at the very beginning. Back in then, they, there were no many computers, no, you know, pocket calculator that you can buy for 10 bucks. They had more calculating power than the big mainframe computers that they had back in those days so it was a uh, it was a wild ride i'll say that yeah look how far we've come yeah and that's that was one thing that um, struck me interesting uh, about this first book that you wrote i actually thought about this the other day because there was a little piece in there uh that i had to laugh at because i was watching the weather channel jesse and the lady was describing the weather in our region and she called it the appalachians and I'm thinking, it drives me nuts. <laughs> it does me. Think, it drives and, me crazy. And, when and I hear somebody book, say Appalachian, I start yelling at them. And in your book, I remember that you know you were so adamant, like it's Appalachian, it's Appalachian, and you kept reminding people. I guess when you were in California, 
this is how you say it. It's Appalachian. It's never Appalachian. You know, we can right. we can tell who's not from here by how they pronounce exactly. it. And, uh, but, I mean, exactly. And but so I I had to laugh a little bit. But you know, when I when I think back to the book, because it's been a while since I read it, but it was, I mean, this is really a just a collection of history through the eyes of of Jesse Ring, you know, you know, an Appalachian native son. And it goes through a lot of things. Um, I recall reading about the, uh, well, the Vietnam War was one thing. Uh, the assassination of JFK, uh, the Cold War, the moon landing, um, at the beginning of the highway system, right? That was exactly that, that, you know, I mean, this is, this, your that, book that's... was like a time capsule. And it was really oh, thank important you. to see where, how, but, but not only are you seeing it through the eyes of, you know, an Appalachian native son, but through the eyes of somebody with so much experience at the birth of technology and high technology that, you know, it, it was, it was a fascinating view. So that's, that's why I wanted to bring this book. It was, it's on Amazon. If anybody wants to buy it, it's a great read. Uh, anybody in the region, Thank this you. is a great Appalachian book that is on my, my top 10 list of Appalachian books. You probably should read. Um, but well, thank uh, you. Um, I remember you mentioned the JFK assassination. I remember it. Um, it was one of those things like 9-11 that you always remember exactly where you were and what you were doing when you heard about it. it had that kind of an impact on people. Yeah. They, they never forgot it. Uh, when I first heard it, I didn't believe it. I thought it was some kind of hoax. And then... Uh, of course, it wasn't, but it, it it was that kind of an of an impact on people that they they remember to this day exactly where they were, what they were doing when they heard about it. Yeah, so it's a great job. That was your, you know, I've written several books under a pen name, and you know, that being your first book, that was an amazing, easy to read book that just kind of flowed so well, um, and going through the history of of our country and. Uh, so much of it, you know, how from from you know, our point, you know, sometimes a perspective, an Appalachian perspective, um, and small town life. Now you're still back. Now you once you came back, um, you actually settled back in. Is it Radford? Are you still in Radford or thereabouts? Well, just outside of Radford. Yeah, it's actually in Pulaski County, but our mailing address is Radford. So I guess one thing I would I would want to ask is, from the time you left. At the time you moved back, and like I know Narrows fairly well, I get through there once in a while. How's life changed? Small People town. Ask me that, and and my answer is, well, it's changed a lot, and it hasn't changed at all. So, so uh, the economic development here is in this area is much greater now. Uh, it's more diverse. Um, Places like Virginia Tech have grown dramatically. Even Radford College has grown dramatically. So those things have changed quite a bit. There are more people coming in from outside of this area than there were back then. So all those kinds of things have changed. The economic development, the whole diversity of the economy, more diverse people have changed quite a bit. Other things, however, haven't changed at all. For example, you have to be, uh, be, be part of a group. You have to know somebody. You have, a family is important. 
uh, people that you you grew up with. You know, I, I've known, like you mentioned, you and I have known each other for years. Or people that um, you know, I went to uh, all through grade school and high school in the same little town, and I graduated from high school with people that I had been in first grade with. Almost unheard of now. Another thing that's changed is people are much more mobile now yeah. than they were then. People then tended to stay uh, where they were born. I, I have relatives who, to this day, live in sight of the house where they were born. So that was one thing that's changed. People are much more mobile than they used to be. But still, people want to know, you know, uh, how I've known this guy all my years. Well, I know his father, you know, and that sort of thing. So that That's, kind of family history is still important. Yeah, and you know, small town life is, it, you know, it, it has its pros and cons, but it is a precious thing. And, you know, I, I look back at uh, growing up here in the town where I'm at, and, you know, I'm grateful that all the years that I was gone, I came back, I run into people that I knew long, so long ago. Um, right. But, I've met people since I, I've come back that I knew in high school, <laughs> and they were, they're still here. In fact, I'm going to lunch Wednesday with two of my high school classmates. Oh, that's great. That, yeah. It is great. And, until, and that's something I think we've lost as a society, that, that rootedness, you know, that, that anchor that, that, that holds you. And I hadn't seen these two guys for 50 years. Until I came back here, and somehow at a class reunion or something, we connected. And Andy and Eddie, I won't mention their last names, but Andy and Eddie, and we kind of connected again. And so we get together, have lunch every once in a while. And so it's that kind of thing that, that's still very important in this area, even though the whole society is much more mobile than it used to be. Yeah, a friend of mine told me something quite a few years ago when I. When I first moved back, I was in Cincinnati for a number of years. You know, I run into an old friend of mine, Frank, and I, we'd never lost touch. I was the best man in his wedding. And, you know, we, we've known each other since we were tiny. And uh, he said, you know, you can, you can move wherever you want and have friends everywhere you live in life, but you're never going to have friends like the friends you had that you grew up with. You know, it's it's well, just never the same. That's never the same. And yeah. that, that kind of continuity and connectedness and, and so on. As I said, I think it's something we've lost in our society. Now, I don't know what to do about it uh, because the world and the society we live in are not like they used to be. We, we live in a world, a global economy now. We're, we're worried about what's going on with China and, and the Ukraine. And we had the Cold War. I mean, that, all that stuff existed, but our economy wasn't so much uh, global. Yeah, it wasn't tied to, yeah, even this yeah. latest, you know, with, with Ukraine going on right now, a lot of people don't realize that probably a quarter of the world's uh, corn, wheat comes from right there in that region. And that's yeah, disrupting that's big, everything. So, you know, a big with, wheat growing region over there. Yeah. yeah. When I worked in the air, uh, semiconductor industry, I traveled all over the world. Uh, but a lot to Asia. Uh, the company I work for is called Applied Materials. And it sold yeah. equipment to all the chip makers. And a lot of their big customers were in Asia. So I was going to Taiwan, Korea, 
Japan. I went probably went to Japan once every six months. And then it kind of one day kind of dawned on me. He said, wow, well, this is a lot different from Narrows, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, this, the travels that you've done has just been amazing. Um, and to be able to share that through through your books, you have three books out on Amazon. So um, and I, I want to you know tell, tell people to definitely check out all of them. Now, I met you, it was 2008, 2010 timeframe. So 10, 12 years ago, roughly. And when you were running right. for uh, running for office and um, right. after the campaign and everything, you, you, you took some of us out to a, a dinner over in Abingdon at the Martha Washington. Inn. And I, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you were ordering wine for us. And I know nothing about wine. So I kind of left that up to you. What, what were you going to order? And and then it was it was really good. I probably enjoyed it a little too much. <laughs> so um, but at that time, you know, I, I realized like you had talked before about your passion for wine and um, that you were planning on doing a vineyard. And so you actually had started that process probably what, three or four years before the campaign even started. Um, right. When did you when did you set up uh, JBR Vineyards? Um, and uh, what, what was that process like? Well, that's a, uh, it was a whole uh, new experience in life. That's for sure. I had spent my entire professional career in high tech, as we've mentioned, and I always kind of had this, this feeling that, well, you know, someday I want to do something different. Someday I want to do, oh, you know, something with my hands or that sort of thing. And it was just kind of, you know, a thought in the back of my mind. There was never a, a pad. Oh, I've got this, this is what I've got to do in life. Oh no, I'm a, I'm an electric engineer, computer developer. That's what I do in life. But someday I want to do something different. Well, wine has been a hobby of mine for since I was in college. A hobby in the sense of just trying to learn about it. I just became fascinated with it, learning about wines from different regions in the world, uh, tasting them, the differences, the similarities what kind of grapes they grow in all the different regions. And it was just a big hobby of mine. I read a lot of books on it. Um, when we lived in California, I went through a phase where I was going to antique wine auctions in San Francisco and built up a collection. So it was that kind of a hobby. Then I started, while still in California, hearing about vineyards in Virginia. And I thought, well, now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So I started trying some Virginia wines. Then when we moved back to this area in 2005, I won't say it was on a, a lark, but I just got this idea that wouldn't it be fun to plant some grapevines? You know, there are vineyards in Virginia. Wouldn't it be fun to just plant a few grapevines here and, and see if I can actually get them to grow and get some grapes off of them, make some wine? Wouldn't that be fun to sit here and sip? A glass of wine made from grapes grown right out there. So we did a, our initial trial planting in 2006. That is a few years before you and I met in 2010. And then it just kind of took on a life of its own after that. Um, it takes three to five years to get a vineyard in full production. So and did our trial planting in 06 and 09, we replanted and expanded that vineyard and uh, got it going. And then got some grapes from it, made some wine. It was homemade wine at that point. 
said, well, you know, that one's pretty good. And um, then I came to a point where, as they say, when you reach a fork in the road, take it. I had gotten to the point where this growing of uh, wine grapes and making some wine had gotten to be too much to be a hobby, but it wasn't enough to really try and make something out of it. So I realized that 